Chapters 5 to 7 of The Rule of St. Benedict. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rule of St. Benedict by St. Benedict of Nursia. Translated by Anonymous. Chapter 5 of the Obedience of Disciples. The first degree of humility is obedience without delay. This beseemeth those who, either on account of the holy servitude they have professed, through fear of hell or for the glory of life everlasting, count nothing more dear to them than Christ. These presently, as soon as anything is commanded them by the superior, make no delay in doing it, just as if the command had come from God. Of such our Lord saith, quote, at the hearing of the ear, he hath obeyed me, unquote. from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And to teachers he saith, quote, He that heareth you heareth me, unquote. from Psalms chapter 17, verse 45. Therefore such as these, leaving immediately everything, and forsaking their own will, leave unfinished what they were about, and with the speedy foot of obedience follow by deeds the voice of him who commands, and thus, as it were in one and the same moment, the command of the master and the perfect work of the disciple in the speed of the fear of God, go both jointly together, and are quickly affected by those who ardently desire to advance in the way of eternal life. These take the narrow way, of which the Lord saith, quote, Narrow is the way which leadeth to life, unquote. from Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. They live not according to their own will, nor follow their own desires and pleasures, but, abiding in monasteries, walk according to the command and direction of another, and will to have an abbot over them. Without doubt, these fulfill that saying of our Lord, quote, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, unquote. from John chapter 5, verse 30. This obedience will then be acceptable to God and pleasing to men, if what is commanded be not done fearfully, slowly, coldly, or with murmuring, or an answer showing unwillingness, because the obedience which is given to superiors is given to God, who hath said, quote, he that heareth you heareth me, unquote. from Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Hence it ought to be done by the disciples with a good will, because God, quote, loveth a cheerful giver, unquote. from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. If the disciple obey with ill will, and murmur, not only in words, but also in heart, although he fulfill what is commanded him, it will not be acceptable to God who considereth the heart of the murmurer. For such a work he shall not have any reward, but rather incurreth the penalty of murmurers, unless he amend and make satisfaction. Chapter 6 Of Silence Let us act in accordance with that saying of the prophet, quote, I have said, I will keep my ways, that I offend not with my tongue. I have been watchful over my mouth, I held my peace and humbled myself, and was silent from speaking even good things." Unquote. 
From Psalm chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. If therefore, according to this saying of the prophet, we are at times to abstain, for silence sake, even from good talk, how much more ought we to refrain from evil words on account of the penalty of sin? Therefore, because of the importance of silence, let leave to speak be seldom given, even to perfect disciples, although their words be of good and holy matters, tending unto edification, because it is written, quote, In much speaking thou shalt not escape sin, unquote. from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. And in another place, quote, Death and life are in the hands of the tongue, unquote. from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. For it befitteth a master to speak and teach, and it beseemeth a disciple to hold his peace and listen. If, therefore, anything must be asked of the prior, let it be done with all fitting humility and the subjection of reverence. But as for buffoonery, idle words, or such as move to laughter, we utterly condemn and exclude them in all places, nor do we allow a disciple to open his mouth to give them utterance. Chapter 7 of Humility The Holy Scripture crieth to us, brethren, saying, quote, Everyone who exalteth himself shall be humbled, and he who humbleth himself shall be exalted. Unquote. From Luke chapter 54, verse 11. By these words it declares to us that all exaltation is a kind of pride, which the prophet showeth must carefully be avoided when he says, quote, Lord, my heart is not exalted, neither are my eyes lifted up, neither have I walked in great things, nor in wonders above myself. Unquote. But why? Quote, if I did not think humbly, be exalted my soul. As a child weaned from his mother, so wilt thou reward my soul. Unquote. From Psalm chapter 103, verses 1 to 2. Wherefore, brethren, if we would attain to the highest summit of humility, and speedily reach that heavenly exaltation, which is won through the lowliness of this present life, by our ascending actions a ladder must be set up, such as appeared in sleep to Jacob, whereon he saw angels descending and ascending. That descent and ascent signifieth nothing else but that we descend by exalting, and ascend by humbling ourselves. The ladder thus erected is our life here in this world, which through humility of heart is lifted up by our Lord to heaven. The sides of this ladder we understand to be our body and soul, in which the divine vocation hath placed diverse degrees of humility and discipline, which we must ascend. The first degree, then, of humility is that a man always have the fear of God before his eyes, and altogether flee forgetfulness. Moreover, to be mindful of all that God hath commanded, and remember that such as condemn God fall into hell for their sins, and that everlasting life is prepared for such as fear him, and keeping himself every moment from all sin and vice of thought, word, eyes, hands, feet, and self-will, let him thus hasten to cut off the desires of the flesh. Let him think that he is always beheld from heaven by God, that all his actions, wheresoever he may be, lie open to the eye of God, 
and are at every hour presented before him by his angels. The prophet declareth this when in these words he saith that God is always present to our thoughts. Quote, God searcheth the heart and reigns. Unquote. And again, quote, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of men, that they are vain. Unquote. He also saith, quote, Thou hast understood my thoughts afar off. Unquote and, quote, the thought of man shall confess to thee, unquote. In order, therefore, that the humble brother may be careful to avoid evil thoughts, let him always say in his heart, quote, then shall I be without spot before him, if I shall keep me from my iniquity, unquote. The scripture also forbiddeth us to do our own will, saying, quote, leave thy own will and desire, unquote. And again, quote, we beg of God in prayer that his will may be done in us, unquote. With good reason, therefore, are we taught to beware of doing our own will, when we keep in mind that which the scripture saith, quote, there are ways which to men seem right, and in whereof plungeth even into the deep pit of hell, unquote. And again, when we fear that which is said of the negligent, quote, they are corrupted and made abominable in their pleasures, unquote. But in the desires of the flesh, we ought to believe God to be always present with us, according to that saying of the prophet, speaking to the Lord, quote, O Lord, all my desire is before thee, unquote. Let us then take heed of evil desires, because death sitteth close to the entrance of delight. Wherefore the scripture commandeth us, quote, Follow not thy concupiscences, unquote. If then the eyes of the Lord behold both good and bad, if he ever looketh down from heaven upon the sons of men to see who is understanding or seeking God, if our works are told to him day and night by our angels, we must always take heed, brethren, lest, as the prophet saith in the psalm, quote, God behold us sometime declining to evil and become unprofitable, unquote. And though he spare us for the present, because he is merciful and expecteth our conversion, he may yet say to us hereafter, quote, These things thou hast done, and I have held my peace, unquote. The second degree of humility is, if any one, not wedded to his own will, seeks not to satisfy his desires, but carries out that saying of our Lord, quote, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. End quote. The scripture likewise saith, quote, Self-will engendereth punishment, and necessity purchaseth a crown. End quote. The third degree of humility is that a man submit himself for the love of God, with all obedience to his superior, imitating thereby our Lord, of whom the Apostle saith, quote, He was made obedient even unto death. End quote. The fourth degree of humility is that if in obedience things that are hard, contrary, and even unjust be done to him, he embrace them with a quiet conscience, and in suffering them grow not weary nor give over, since the scripture saith, quote, He only that 
persevereth to the end shall be saved. End quote. And again, quote, let thy heart be comforted and expect the Lord. End quote. And showing that the faithful man ought to bear all things for our Lord, be they never so contrary, it saith in the person of the sufferers, quote, For thee we suffer death all the day long. We are esteemed as sheep for the slaughter. End quote. And being assured by hope of a reward from God's hands, they go on rejoicing and saying, quote, But in all things we overcome by the help of him who hath loved us. End quote. Likewise, in another place the scripture saith, quote, Thou hast proved us, O Lord, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried with fire. Thou hast brought us into the snare, thou hast laid tribulation upon our backs. End quote. And to show that we ought to be under a prior, it goes on to say, quote, Thou hast placed men over our heads. End quote. Moreover, in order to fulfill the precepts of the Lord by patience in adversities and injuries, quote, When struck on one cheek, they offer the other. To him who taketh away their coat, they leave their cloak also. And being constrained to carry a burden one mile, they go too. End quote. With Paul the Apostle, they suffer false brethren and persecutions, and bless those who speak ill of them. The fifth degree of humility is to manifest to the abbot by humble confession all the evil thoughts of his heart, and the secret faults committed by him. The scripture exhorteth us thereunto, saying, quote, Reveal thy way to the Lord, and hope in him. End quote. And again, quote, Confess thy way to the Lord, because he is good because his mercy endureth forever. Furthermore, the prophet saith, quote, I have made known unto thee mine offense, and mine injustices I have not hidden. I have said, I will declare openly against myself mine injustices to the Lord. And thou hast pardoned the wickedness of my heart. End quote. The sixth degree of humility is, if a monk be content with all that is meanest and poorest, and in everything enjoined him, think himself an evil and worthless servant, saying with the prophet, quote, I have been brought to nothing, and knew it not. I have become as a beast before thee, and I am always with thee. End quote. The seventh degree of humility is, not only to pronounce with his tongue, but also in his very heart to believe himself to be the most abject and inferior to all, and humbling himself to say with the prophet, quote, I am a worm and no man, the reproach of men and the outcast of the people. I have been exalted, humbled, and confounded. End quote. And again, quote, It is good for me that thou hast humbled me, that I may learn thy commandments. End quote. The eighth rule of humility is that a monk do nothing but what the common rule of the monastery, or the examples of his seniors, exhort him to do. The ninth degree of humility is for a monk to refrain his tongue from speaking, and be silent till a question be asked him, remembering the saying of the scripture, quote, 
in many words, thou shalt not avoid sin, end quote. And, quote, a talkative man shall not be directed upon the earth, end quote. The tenth degree of humility is not to be easily moved and prompt to laugh, for it is written, quote, the fool exalteth his voice to laughter, end quote. The eleventh degree of humility is that when a monk speaketh, he do so gently and without laughter, humbly with gravity or few words, and discreetly, and be not clamorous in his voice, for it is written, quote, a wise man is known by few words, end quote. The twelfth degree of humility is that a monk not only have humility in his heart, but show it also in his exterior to all that behold him, so that whether he be at the work of God, in the oratory, the monastery, the garden, on the way, in the field, or wherever he may be, whether he sit, walk, or stand, let him always, with head bent down and eyes fixed upon the earth, think of himself guilty for his sins and about to be presented before the dreadful judgment of God, ever saying to himself with the publican in the gospel, quote, Lord, I, a sinner, am not worthy to lift up mine eyes to heaven. End quote. And again with the prophet, quote, I am bowed down and humbled on every side. End quote. Thus, when all these degrees of humility have been ascended, the monk will presently come to that love of God which is perfect and casteth out fear, to that love whereby everything which at the beginning he observed through fear, he shall now begin to do by custom, without any labor, and as it were naturally, not now through fear of hell, but for the love of Christ, out of a good custom, and a delight in virtue. All this our Lord will vouchsafe to work by the Holy Ghost in his servant, now that he is cleansed from defects and sins. End of chapters 5 to 7